This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Alison Murdoch is the founder and chief marketing officer of Trusted CMO, a firm that helps companies fill in any marketing gaps they may have. Trusted CMO focuses on early stage companies that have product market fit, but require assistance actually getting on the market. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Allison discusses some of the common themes she sees from companies looking to kickstart their marketing journey. Plus, she dives into how virtual events are becoming more than just keynotes and why it's time for CMOs to understand what their real role is. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Allison, what is going on? Not much. I am sheltering in place and cooking a lot and eating a lot, but doing a lot of exercise to negate the negative effects of uh, not doing too many other things. And marketing a lot, I should say. Um, which is uh, precisely the reason why we are so excited to have you on the show today. Uh, you have done a bunch of really cool stuff uh, at, at the cutting edge of marketing and uh, your latest venture, Trusted CMO, uh, trustedcmo.com, for those of our listeners who want to follow along here, uh, is really cool as well. Uh, I love the idea of building trust and uh, I'm excited to get into your background. So first, how did you get started in marketing? Well, I kind of had a not so obvious path to marketing. I began my career um, in an unusual way. I started as a legal assistant in LA thinking I wanted to become a lawyer until I worked at a law firm, a big one, and thought, these people are miserable. This is not for me. So I took off. I went to Paris and I became a writer for a magazine uh, about uh, the expat culture in Paris and had had the opportunity to not only... Uh, interview uh, uh, Oscar de la Renta and attend a couple of fashion shows and also do some interviews about spas and and beauty, which uh, was my beat, health and beauty, and found myself um, intrigued as much by the writing as I was by the commercial opportunity. How do you draw in advertisers? How do you write about them? And that sounds a little like I was violating church and state in the magazine world, and we were because we were small, but it, it sort of introduced me to the world of, of brands and marketing as a very young professional. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco um, in the early 90s and got a job at uh, Ziff Davis, which back then was really the technology publishing powerhouse. Um, and my sure. role was working on conferences and events, big ones like NetWorld plus Interop and Siebel, very early, early days of the internet. So that shows my age, because I was five. Um, <laughs> and I found that um, I was very drawn to um, how the, the, the sort of the innovation space, and that sounds really trite, you know, it's innovation, whatever, but, but it was really about how technology had the power to change all of our lives. And again, the, the first browser had barely been invented. So that kind of got me hooked on, on tech. And in my role, uh, I was responsible for marketing the conferences, marketing speakers, 
And um, then I moved on to Red Herring Magazine back in the uh, pre-dot-com days, which was, again, kind of a powerhouse at its time. Um, and that sort of launched me into a variety of careers that span between um, entrepreneurship um, and starting my own business, which I started in doc, after dot-com kind of um, imploded, um, and also just being a, a marketer overall, doing a variety of things that would fall under the umbrella of marketing. So flash forward to today, what is Trusted CMO? So Trusted CMO is a firm that helps companies fill in the marketing gaps. We focus on early stage companies, so seed stage to about Series C. And these are companies who have, you know, a, a product market fit, they've got some funding, um, but they really need some assistance getting to market. And that could be a marketing strategy. It could be a full go-to-market effort with sales, marketing, and customer success lined up to, to push their product to, to their customers and make sure their customers renew. Um, it, it really depends on, on the size of company. But I prefer the entrepreneurial trajectory for my career than just being a CMO that's focused on one company and one product or multiple uh, set of products. Um, and what I mean there is that um, a lot of companies, when they are ready to commercialize their offering, uh, they, they don't exactly know how to go about marketing it, meaning they either don't understand marketing very well, or they don't have the resources, or they may have one person in sales who has come up with a marketing strategy. And so my role is to come in and help them set up what their plan is, validate that the plan will work, and help them with implementation if they need it. That could be everything from helping them hire, to training team members, to literally being that trusted partner for the CEO. Well, it is the ultimate time in a company's life where that team does not trust a marketer, right? Like this is the ultimate period where they, A, have never worked with marketing in most cases when you're talking about like product-centric founders, unless they're, you know, like a MarTech startup or something like that. But vast majority of the time, they have not worked with a marketer ever. They don't have a deep bench in knowing marketing people. And the pattern that they can most easily match is, well, I can go pull a VP um, or a, you know, director level person from a big company and then just drop them into my company and, and they'll kind of know how to do stuff. I mean, it is the most tumultuous time and it's often a mishire um, and it's often a misalignment between two folks. And we're in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about, you know, startup marketing and, and what that means. Um, so, it, you know, it seems like it's a perfect fit and it, it's something where being able to pattern match across, you know, multiple companies for trusted CMO is great because you can have the flexibility to provide those insights. Um, I'm curious, uh, what is the what is the issue that you see most often? Because it seems like when a company finally says, well, I think we're ready for marketing, that's too late. Why is that? Well, first of all, when they say, I think we're ready for marketing, um, that means that uh, they probably don't understand exactly what marketing is. I mean, I'm going to just say it because I have talked to a lot of 
companies, super cool companies, nothing wrong with them. There's just such a fundamental lack of understanding about what marketing is or isn't. You mentioned the term pattern matching. Nothing gets me more riled up than pattern matching. I mean, VCs do it. They're like, well, that company's going to suck because they're in music because music mm-hmm. companies suck. You know, that, that is that lack of curiosity and that lack of questioning or looking under the hood of anything is just the bane of my existence and something I see happen all over Silicon Valley. And frankly, because it happens here, everybody else in the world seems to think that's a great idea. So I I think sometimes, and I I get fired up about this because, and, and probably in some ways, this was the engine behind me starting this because I just don't accept that, you know, the guy that started something at Salesforce is going to be the perfect guy for this startup. It's just maybe, but, but maybe not at all. Um, and, and so when companies say, hey, we're ready for marketing, the first thing I do is, why? Why, why do you think you need marketing? I actually talked to a company about a year and a half ago, uh, you know, it was a, somebody who was potentially interesting and interested in hiring ahead of marketing, and they were doing very well financially. And I said, why do you need marketing? And the guy literally could not answer the question. I think it's because his VCs told him he should. He didn't know what it was. And so that is something that I, I just, you know, I, I feel like it's my job to come in and explain to them what marketing is or isn't. And I don't mean to be insulting. It's just why would they know if they've never done it? So to me, marketing is business strategy. We are building businesses. When you build a business, you have a product that people will either buy or not buy. You have to tell them about your product and you have to make it a pleasurable experience to do business with them. So a lot of times when I go come into a company, I see a level of bias that that is somewhat influenced by um, stories of performance marketing and how much some company spent on that only to get a churn of 20% and wow, that's a bad thing and marketing's gonna cost a lot. Frankly, marketing doesn't have to cost a lot and except for the person. Um, at the beginning, because there's so much to do. Um, So breaking that bias about marketing being a cost center and being kind of like not necessary um, is the first thing that I I need to, you know, set straight with the the CEO. And frankly, I mostly work with CEOs and and I think that's a good thing. Um, The other thing that you mentioned was the big company bias. So, hey, let's just pluck this marketing person from this company and bring them to our startup. So, why would a corporate marketer want to go to a startup? I mean, it's not just simply this guy worked here, now he's going to work at our startup. That person has to understand what working at a startup actually is. Are they going to want to work 12 to 14 hours a day? I mean, that happens. You know, are they going to want to have no budget, no staff for time? They may not be the right person. And I, I have heard a lot of stories where they hire sort of, that flashy marketer. And, you know, frankly, it's not the right fit. It's just not right for either party. So, you know, there's a real consideration um, process that has to happen. And, and, you know, how to even find that first marketer is um, probably the subject of another podcast. (laughs) Um, And I think the, you know, going back to the lack of understanding, really what it's about is just how vast marketing is. So, as a startup, what is it that you need to make marketing work? What is your business? Who are your customers? How will you go to market? So the strategy and the planning, there's no one size fits all. 
there are multiple initiatives um, that, that require a level of research, um, talking to customers, and also um, crafting for that business. Um, you've got to measure um, the, the campaigns that you run. You might mess it up a few times, but you have to have that nimble level of thinking to make marketing work. It's not plug and play. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are, are in and around the Valley, and this is not necessarily a Silicon Valley thing, although there are definitely intricacies here with the startup ecosystem. I mean, it's any startup ecosystem globally is similar things that go on. But, you know, the person who started the company is started the company to make widgets or to create or to solve a specific problem or to, you know, do whatever it is. But like, they all believe at some level, if you build it, they will come. Like they all truly believe that. Like the vast majority of product-centric founders and the vast majority of founders are product-centric, um, you know, they, they, they want that to be true. They want their product to be so good that, you know, they don't need to be marketed. And it's like, clearly that is not the case, uh, hardly ever. Um, but it does take a lot of coaxing and it does take a lot of convincing. And each step along the way is going to be painful. Each step along the way is going to be, you know, a series of things that they're not comfortable with. And this happens over a number of years. And then it gets to the point where they go public and they still don't have a CMO. Like this happens a lot. A lot of people we've interviewed on the show that are head of marketing and are not a CMO, um, not all of them, but many of them have had the conversations privately with their leadership team. And I, I've told this story on the podcast before where one of the guests on the show said, hey, you know, I think I need to be CMO. And the CEO was like, literally looked at him and was like, why? It's like, do you not think that we need a chief marketer to be on the board <laughs> of our company at all? Like, really? You don't see that that's a need? You think that it's fine to just have a VP? Like, it's just, it's a crazy reality. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, there's just, there's so much to say about that. And it's, it's very disheartening to hear about that because what it says to me is that, that um, companies, CEOs, other people on that leadership team just don't value marketing. Um, in fact, if you look at some of the statistics around um, CMOs even being on boards at all, they're very low, very, very low. And then you say, okay, how many female CMOs are on boards? And then you're talking about single digits. Um, and so, you know, this is, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, with product-led growth, which I think is what you're referring to, um, I mean, that is, you know, the golden egg, right? We all want that. Um, and, you know, sometimes companies have uh, the natural ability to, to go viral or um, have that network effect built into the, their, their, their product. But part of that is a strategy, right? And part of that might be um, how customers are and, and, and users are trained to use the product and share and talk about it in a way that makes other users interested in using it or in a way that accelerates adoption. Um, and frankly, right now, I mean, when you look at adoption, this is the largest topic right now amongst marketers and um, in fact, customer success, which I rarely have seen at the table in a go-to-market conversation, no, no insults there. They're just really busy people. But, you know, adoption is not a given. And 
I, I think what happens in these companies is they do not see marketing as part of that strategic conversation about how to build the product. And I, I really, I think that's wrongheaded because marketers understand psychology to a certain extent. They understand the importance of brand interactions, meaning what does it feel like to use this product? How are they talking to me? How are they making it easy for me to use it? That, that is marketing's purview. Many leaders, CEOs, um, you know, sort of non, non-marketing or sales-oriented leaders are thinking that marketing's job is really just to make t-shirts and raise awareness and and, you know, stay in their lane. And, you know, I, I would just tell any marketer that's at a company like that, that wants to be a CMO, freaking leave. You know what? That's not going to be good for you. I mean, learn what you can, but if you want something else that that's not the company for you, it's going to be very hard to have that conversation. So, you know, I go back to why did I start Trusted CMO? I want to help companies understand what marketing is and what, how they can make uh, the role matter more inside their company. It really, there's so much underneath that. In my effort to change the thinking about marketing, I think there's one more layer. That is, um, I'm, I love, love, love ShareBird. I don't know if you're familiar with ShareBird. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are. ShareBird is started by one guy, Alex Lopez. Um, it is a community site for product marketers. You go into ShareBird, you will not believe the product marketers that are commenting about how they're launching their products, how they're keeping their customers happy, how they're driving adoption. It's like every name brand you can see, everybody with a product marketing title and other marketers. It is phenomenal. And I look at that and I say, you know what? That level of education is what, there's a gap there between what people believe marketing is and what people in marketing are actually doing that matters to the business. So, you know, if I can help close that gap, I don't know what it, that's going to be in the future. I will, because in my company, I feel like I'm successful if I can help a startup eliminate guesswork and eliminate risk by just figuring out a better strategy and not pattern matching and hiring some VP from some company that's just not going to work out. So I've never been to sharebird.com and I'm on it now. This is incredible. We even got some people, some marketing trends guests. John Grillo from uh, Airbnb, who is on the show. This is sweet. See, you know, honestly, if there's, a, if there's a weak spot in our marketing trends repertoire, we actually don't have that many product marketers on. Maybe I need to fix that. I'll go chat to some folks here. But this is really cool. It's so cool. And, and, you know, product marketing as a domain, honestly, was not a thing until like maybe eight years ago. I mean, you ask any product marketer if that yeah. job title existed. And, you know, back in the maybe early on, it was, these are the people that write the, you know, super long features and benefits descriptions on a website. Like it wasn't uh, an influential job. Now it's one of the hottest jobs um, in the marketing, you know, realm. Um, and so, you know, this is, so anyway, it's a gold mine. Um, and, and it's just, uh, I guess another way to show you how deep, um, marketing goes and how, um, you know, I really hope this way of thinking with this generation of marketers that I I'm seeing cropping up and I'm, I'm kind of old school, but I love working with people way younger than me because they have a hell of a lot more energy and, and make me think, you know, and make me, get me excited about what's possible. I feel like they have the potential to change 
um, how marketing is inside a company and what, what they get to do and how they can help. Yeah. I mean, I still can't believe that you were running events at age five. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I know. Wasn't it great? I had my little clipboard and my purse and stuffed animals, but I was really effective. <laughs> Ask my mom. She'll tell you. <laughs> well, so, and, and I want to talk about events for a little bit because uh, anyone who has cut their teeth in events um, is a wizard in my opinion. I, as I've created an event, I've talked about a little bit on the show, events are so unbelievably hard. And when they're done wrong, they're so unbelievably negative. Like it's a complete opposite effect that you want it to have is when an event goes poorly. Uh, and when it goes right, it's kind of like the, okay, you did what you're supposed to do. So this is all changing, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Who knows what events will be in the future? There's going to be some changes, some last things, some not. I think, you know, we've talked about a little bit how I think what pieces of a in-person event that can now be digital are going to be more digital and what pieces of an event that were physical are now going to be even more physical. I think that we're going to really steer into like experiential experiences rather than, you know, pushing content at people. But um, I'm curious, like, you know, you spent a lot of time in your career making great events and working on that. Um, where do you think this is going? I mean, what's happened to the events world in such a short time is, is really just mind boggling. And, and having friends who uh, run production companies, um, having you know, other friends who are running customer events to um, you know, a, a phenomenal group like Saster, um, you know, everyone's been affected. I mean, we're all in this. And I think, um, I don't think virtual events now were at the point where I think they're here to stay. More, more like what you were saying, I think there's going to be events and it's not just straight up webinars. I, I think maybe that's what's done is the boring ass webinar. Um, I, I think, I think the, the virtual events with breakout rooms, with homework and you come back and you share more creative formats that um, mimic uh, what one might do in a classroom, that will become part of the virtual event. What's, there's, there's a lot of really great things about virtual events that from a marketing standpoint, I want to make sure that people who are sponsoring events, for example, or even considering to attending or, or thinking about sponsoring in the future um, should consider, first of all, if you are speaking at an event, you get that content actually quite quickly. You also know how many people saw your talk. You also know what questions they had to ask. So you're getting a level of feedback you never really got from a live event. I mean, if you, if you assume most live events are, I walk into a room, I'm speaking to 100 people, they kind of nod their head, they check their email while I'm talking, and then they leave. You know, I don't know who those people were unless somebody scanned their badges. And I don't really know if they like my presentation until I get the survey. So there's a lot, you know, you, the feedback loop is much faster. The second thing, if you think about being the, the marketer who's putting budget into a virtual event and a lot of events are able to capture leads, you're getting like a multiple of the number of leads you used to get. And you can use that as an asset for future lead collection. So if that your goal is to get leads, you're getting so many more with virtual event because people can download it later, they can watch it later, they can sign up, they can continue that conversation with you. Um, and you know, I, so I'm seeing some silver linings. When you think about face-to-face, -face, 
I agree that the level, you know, the level of interaction and experiential learning will be something that will differentiate face-to-face. It's got to. I mean, we just can't, they, they can't run on parallel paths. I just don't think it's going to be as interesting for people. As someone who's produced events, the, one of the hardest things to do is to just convince people they need to leave their office for two days and sit in a room and be a passive listener. I mean, that's a really hard value proposition. Unless you have an extraordinarily compelling speaker um, or you're talking about a topic that nobody understands, it's pretty hard. Or, you're a cu- or it's a customer event and you're going for free and you get to see your buddies. It's, it's challenging. So virtual events from, at some level, you know, they're, they're a lot easier. I think it's a little early to tell exactly what's going to happen, but I, I think things are forever changed as a result of this pandemic. So back to the talking to executives, uh, senior leaders, CEO about why marketing is important. You know, uh, we beat our own drum on this podcast, definitely, uh, but also in marketing uh, to convince people why we are important because we are important. But, you know, I think that really where the market has so clearly shifted is with customer experience being so critical now, customer journeys being so critical. Um the proximity to the customer that marketers now have, the data that we now have, like all of those things have kind of been converging to this point where we actually do have the answers and insights that the board doesn't have anymore. Like we have insights, we can inform the CEO of things about the company that they don't know themselves. Like that is the key, I think, to, to unlocking, uh, you know, show, don't tell, right? Don't tell them you're important. Show them, you know, how important you are and help, you know, in that way, help the business, know the business inside and out. I'm curious, like, what are you seeing from the front lines of marketing leaders that are able to step into startups and make a difference uh, and to get past the conversations of why am I here to, you know, how can I help? I think there's a couple of key things you have to do. Number one, as a new person, you have, you are able to see things that a lot of other people can't see because they're in it, right? So um, one of my um, experiences going into a company was I felt immediately that the product was positioned in, in a way that wasn't going to, that wasn't going to last for them. Um, it was positioned as a commodity type product. And I thought, well, if 25 other competitors do the same thing, we'll be fighting against 25 other competitors. What they had sort of neglected a bit was, was the actual platform itself and how it was helping this key customer. Um, so we changed all of the positioning and had it focused on helping the key customer do more um, and, and accomplish more and make them the hero and support them. And they had never positioned the product. They positioned it for the end user, which is also important. So you have, so as I think one of the key things when you come into a company is it's okay to disagree with how they've been doing th- things that they actually want you to, because you have fresh eyes. The second thing is, you know, marketers, we have to plan and there's going to be a long-term plan and we have to, you know, do a lot of prep work or maybe hire people. But mostly when you walk into a, a company, when they say, oh, we're, we've hired the CMO, they're, cut, they're starting on Monday, people 
whether or not they express it to you, are sort of biased towards action. So you have to figure out what you can do as fast as possible that will either make a difference for the company um, or seem like it's making a difference, meaning, you know, hey, I see these five problems and this is the first thing I'm going to work on for the next 60 days. You have to build some trust that you are doing something that's going to help the business grow and help the business make more money. Um, and then the other thing that comes up probably a lot in these conversations amongst other CMOs is that, um, you know, and I think it's tricky because, you know, all of the other things we were talking about, the bias, the sort of, we don't really need marketing or well, I guess we're ready for marketing is that CMOs have to be, you know, and this isn't, this is hard for me, um, but a level of cheerleader for the company. Um, it can be really hard when you feel that people don't value your work or don't really care if marketing's there. Like we could do what we were doing without marketing. It's just a cost center. Like that is a real bias. So you have to be able to get past that and you have to connect with your peers, your other executives and listen to their concerns and, and help them support what they're doing from a marketing standpoint. But you also need to just stand up and do the cheerleading thing. You know, Hey, we have, we had a story published in the New York Times. It was great. Our CEO sounded great. Like people want good news and your job as a marketer is to bring the good news. And those are the key things that I think, you know, frankly, as a CMO, that's your job. You've had some stops in your career at some companies at the forefront of marketing, um, you know, obviously most recently Social Chorus, um, at Sixth Sense, places where, you know, this nascent, uh, well, I guess not nascent anymore, um, MarTech landscape where we're supporting these individual needs that the marketers uh, are seeing arise with, you know, advents of new technologies and new channels and all that stuff. Uh, I'm curious, like, what are, do you have any favorite campaigns or any any things that you did specifically around working with marketers that particularly resonated? Yeah, actually, I, I'm thinking because um, you mentioned Sixth Sense, which just feel, now feels like an age ago. But um, I was um, really early at that company, employee number eleven, and um, the the then C, CEO Amanda Kalo. Um, she I, I knew her brother, and that's how I got connected in and. When I heard what Sixth Sense was doing, and frankly, their messaging actually hasn't changed that much, um, being bring, helping marketing and sales understand which customers are likely to buy, I thought, how in the world do you do that? And, and it was the advent of big data in marketing and, and the advent of, of AI machine learning and marketing. And so the founding team was doing some pretty groundbreaking work that no other companies were doing. I mean, there were, that market heated up very quickly. My, one of the most gratifying parts of my job um, was building, was convincing the analysts that what we were doing wasn't lead scoring. I mean, it took probably six months, but we went from them saying, well, how is that even possible? That sounds like magic. How could you predict somebody is likely to buy? It was, you know, it, it just, they'd never seen anything like this before. And so when we worked with the, we talked to every single analyst and we finally started to see the light it was so gratifying um, because 
they saw us as, you know, really the leader. Now I think Sixth Sense is almost always on the upper to the right for Forrester. But, you know, have that the time when we were able to convince them and show them how the technology worked, show them why we were able to get these insights and lead scoring didn't work. Um, it just, seeing that light bulb go off was, was so gratifying. And again, like that's, that's one small, small case. Um, I think with, with um, Social Chorus, what was really amazing um, about that experience to me was, and I, I referenced it a little bit about the, around the positioning, is you know we were social chorus is a workforce communications platform. It's not like Slack. It's it's really it's a platform that enables internal communicators to create, publish, and distribute messages to every worker at their company. So right now, this job is so critical. This is the job of the person. This is this is the person who tells all of the workers do not go into the factory today we are on we're sheltering in place or we are going back to work now like that is their role is to communicate with employees and the fact that um in the past they had a really tough role that they were creating newsletters writing emails sending out you know messages maybe posting something on the internet intranet and employees either didn't have access to the technology, didn't read it, didn't care, and it would take hours to create it. That was super hard for them. And, and so um, one of the major positioning shifts we made was to decide as a company that one, our value, one of our values was to invest in communicators. I mean, and by invest, I mean do, you know, invest in product marketing for them, teach them how to use the platform teach them how to publish faster, teach them about analytics, create events that supported them, let them ask questions, let them meet other people who do exactly what they do at a different company, also with 50,000 employees. Um, really create a community for um, a role that, you know, in some companies doesn't even exist. It's like part of marketing. And, um, you know, the crowning moment was um, we did produced an event called Future Comms, um, which sadly this year they they postponed it. Um, it was getting to be about six or seven thousand communicators, and this isn't a, like a super popular job, but it became the place to go. The first time I when I joined the company and we did this event, I don't think I've ever been at a conference like this one. Number one, it was ninety eight percent women. Number two, I have never seen people sit down, take notes, engage on the level that these people were doing. Um, and there were tears, there were laughter. I mean, it was like a love fest around communications. And I, it made me realize that our shift and our commitment to this buyer really paid off. Why were people so engaged? I think, you know, we, well, we created a, a one-day conference. I think part of it was we brought in really good speakers, but we brought in, it was a peer-level content event, meaning, you know, we had um, a couple of, pretty high level communicators at big companies who were talking about how they changed um, the way internal communications worked at their company, um, how they measured success, how they connected to employees in a way they never had before using our product because it was a customer conference. But it wasn't a commercial for, for the company. It was truly like, 
we tried these things, this worked, this didn't work, and here's what happened. And people were riveted because every day they're dealing with this. And so it was like, you know, walking into when I go to a, a CMO coffee or something, we're all talking about stuff we understand. It's very engaging. Um, and I, and there are just not that many conferences around what they do. So we knew that and we said, that's our role. You know, we need to empower them. We need to invest in them. We need to put them in the same room together so they can even get better at their jobs and have more fun doing it. Yeah. I, you know, it, it reminds me of the executive briefing center, right? And how so much company resources go into like this huge buying decision that happens um, and to bring in a leadership team and to walk through, you know, how to buy a large scale enterprise product. And I think about that with, with conferences. I'm like, man, if you could, if you could deliver the EBC style experience to smaller groups of people, like that's, I'd rather go a mile deep than a mile wide on some of these events. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's something in the future. But um, if you're giving people real-time feedback on their businesses, on their actual problems, like you're flying above everybody else who's just pushing content or pushing narrative or whatever. Yeah, that's the beauty of customer conferences too. I think, um, you know, this was one of a couple of um, experiences I've had where, um, you know, Obviously, you want to welcome your customers and you want to show them your new, you know, new features and widgets and all that. But, um, you know, really, um, it's about connecting the community. Um, and you have to carefully think about the content there because there is, you know, there are a lot of customer conferences. It's, it was kind of a fad for a while. I, I, I expect that's kind of going to die down um, for, for a bit. But, um, you know it's not always entertaining. Um, and, and so part of that is understanding truly what is going to benefit this customer. We did a lot of work ahead of time saying, what, what would help you? You know, and they're like, well, I would like to really know how this customer, because they, you know, we, we did a good job of promoting our customers, how she did this, how she was able to do X, Y, and Z. And we, when we did that research, we also learned that there were some gaps in the knowledge, customer knowledge that we hadn't completely understood. And so um, we, we did a lot of work to, to teach them um, to go back and, and, and make sure that they were educated about how to do certain things. We, we were coming out with a lot of features too. So that, that was part of the problem. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think more, more focused, more pragmatic is, um, is so incredibly um, helpful and a good use of people's time. There might be more need for customer conferences. Obviously, the future is extremely uncertain on this. But I think that what's so interesting is that if you talk to the people about what they get from the event, it's a multitude of different things. Like I, when, when I created the event, you know, years ago, and one of the things that was news for a new group of people is a very, very new kind of thing. And one of the things that people said at the event were, I've never met any of these people, but I just knew them all online. Like I just, we're, we've been following each other on Twitter for three years and tweeting back and forth and we'd never met in person. Like things like that where you just kind of like realize like, yeah, maybe the answer is actually, you know, maybe it's not one customer conference. Maybe it's one 
a month. Like, you know what I mean? I, that's what I think is so interesting about this is like, how do you rethink about those things? Now, you know, can you bring Snoop Dogg to, to you know, uh, one every month? No, but, you know, there's a certain amount of skill. But I think that so much about conferences was created around creating a conference because it's so hard that you have to fit it into a structure and a planning procedure and all of that stuff, which takes 12 months to prep for a huge one. And so I, I'm curious to to see the reinvention of those things to really get into like, why do people go? And I think a huge part of that is to get out of their headspace, to get out of their reality, to get out of a place of comfort where they are every day and just experience something new and fresh. And like, that does not really happen in front of your laptop. Like that really doesn't. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, there's, you know, that, that ilk of conferences that, you know, are in Hawaii, like the, like the lobby or, you know, the, the more VC oriented, you know, just getting you, getting you in front of VIPs or, um, or, but even just, you know, I went to last year, I went to the Gartner conference on digital workplace. I mean, that's like, you know, it's an analyst conference. It's, there's no Snoop Dogg there, you know, but, but it was, um, incredibly well-produced and very, um, and, and very helpful for understanding the market landscape. And, and, um, it was in Orlando, which is not necessarily my favorite place, but you know, a destination. And, and I think that is hard to replace with virtual events. I, I, you know, so, so it will be interesting to see, um, how, how things shake out, you know, will virtual events be around the pragmatic learning, the Q and a, the, um, you know, on shifted, shifted engagement. Um, I hardly ever watch anything uh, at the hour. I usually get it later. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but um, certainly I think there's a lot of room for um, creativity and innovation. I mean, um, one of the, um, I was pretty entertained by a lot of stuff that was going on Twitch, you know, it's just a simple broadcast. Um, but, you know, a lot of musicians and, and people kind of jumping right onto that platform. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just, there's going to be, I think the next couple of years, we'll see some, some, some interesting shifts there. Well, I could truly talk about event stuff for, for hours, because I think it's just such a massive opportunity for change, but we got to get you out of here. You have many things to do at Trusted CMO. <laughs> um, but before we do that, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Check them out. They've been here since the very beginning of the podcast. We love them. They're great. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Allison, are you ready? Yes. Number one, what habit have you picked up since the shelter in place? Organizing my day. I could lie in bed and watch TV all day, but I do not. I have a plan that I set up the night before and I make sure that I am using my time wisely um, so that I don't lose my mind not going outside as much as I normally do. What is one book or podcast that you've particularly enjoyed recently? I recently read um, uh, Murakami's uh, IQ 84. It's a magical realist book. Um, he, people who are his fans are his huge fans. Um, it was one of those books you read where it has nothing to do with work. It's completely, um, kind of a fantasy, but real at the same time. And, um, I just like to escape my reality with, with books when I can. What is your favorite thing to do when you're not in a quarantine? 
I'm in a band called the Violin Tendencies. Um, we are actually, we were going to have an album release right about now um, because our uh, guitarist and one of our songwriters um, was going to go on a round the world sailing trip, which got uh, postponed. So we are going to be actually putting this album out over DistroKid and, and digitally. So, um, but normally playing in a bar, I play bass guitar, by the way. <laughs> What's your best advice for a first-time CMO? I think the first thing that you need to do is to get from the CEO what he or she believes will make you successful within 12 months, what he or she desires for your role, to just understand that, whether or not it's the right thing, to understand the expectations. That's critical. Allison, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. Our listeners can check out Trusted CMO. If uh, if you know somebody in from you know seed to Series C that needs some marketing help, definitely check out Trusted CMO. Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, and um, keep reading, keep learning, and and that, yeah, that's that's all I got for you. Awesome. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers, to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com 
forward slash marketing trends.